Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Are you being influenced? If you watched a blockbuster film in the last decade, then there's a chance it's been influenced by the Chinese Communist Party. Here's the reality. The CCP may be running the largest influence campaign in history. In Hollywood Takeover, brought to you by the Epic Times, investigative reporter Tiffany Meyer reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. For a limited time, watch the first 10 minutes for free at hollywoodtakeover.com slash jesse. I know you're paying attention to global events. Wars bubbling up everywhere. Countries are buying and hoarding mass amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our heads in the sand either. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. 833-995-G-O-L-D. The 2024 election is upon us, and now is the time to fight back against the war on masculinity in American society today. Thankfully, the patriots at Chalk, C-H-O-Q, are here to help real American men maximize their masculinity by boosting testosterone levels up to 20% over 90 days. I've been taking a male vitality stack from Chalk for like three years now. It is incredible. They are here to help make American men strong again. Testosterone. Testosterone fueled again. Maximize your masculinity today at choq.com. Use the code Jesse for a massive discount on any chalk subscription for life. Choq.com code Jesse. Limited time offer. Subscription cancelable at any time. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of The Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years, was solely dedicated working on the cover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me a drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually, my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink, the guys come in, I'm gonna go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money, Bam, I give her $100. If you're with the mob, I say, hey, Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show.
This is The Jesse Kelly Show. Beware of your outsourcing. Look, this is a complicated life. A lot of moving parts. I need outsourcing sometimes. I told you the dishwasher saga. I can't do that. Told you the story about my broken tile. Yes, my house is falling down around me during the quarantine. Chris, who's this weirdo handyman person, looks at me like, well, I just touch it. Do you have, what did he call it? Like, do you have like an air wedge or something? What did you call it, Chris? Air chisel? Like, no, I don't, I don't have an air chisel. I have a screwdriver, and that works. But beware how often you outsource and who you outsource to. Italy, a long, long, long time ago, about the year, oh, 1902, a man was born. His name was Umberto Anastasio. You may know him as Albert Anastasia. He, well, he had a rough upbringing. They were poor anyway, had about 9,000 siblings. Father died right after World War I. So here he is, fatherless, penniless, huge family, stuck in Italy, which was uh, in dire financial straits at the time. And he wanted out. And so with his brother, he chose to become, well, a guy who works on a ship is how I'll describe it to you. Now, we need to take a step back here for a moment. 15 years old. I don't know what you were doing at 15, but I was about the size of a twig I'm pretty sure I had Little Caesars and Mountain Dew three meals a day. Almost positive I was still picking my nose. Albert Anastasia took on one of the most brutal jobs you can have at the time. You see, working on a ship does not mean he brought the captain a cup of coffee every now and then. It was brutal. Backbreaking work. Crappy food. Horrible living conditions. It was akin to torture back in the day. Brutal work. So they start because they're shipping and because New York was the biggest port in the world at the time. They start seeing Brooklyn when they roll in. And they're looking at the guys working on the dock. And that was brutal work too, which we'll get to in a minute. And he and his brother eventually say, you know what? Screw this. Gone. Illegally immigrate right into New York, flat out jump ship, and they go working on the docks. Now, there's something you should know about Albert Anastasia. Lost his father, you know that. Poor, you know that. Was also built like an absolute brick house. Not super tall, but they said the dude was just a tank and apparently had... Hands of steel is how they describe them, where if he hits you, 
he would break bones. Now he goes to work on the New York docks. You need to understand the New York docks were basically a war zone at the time, and I'll explain why. Docks in in any city, in any country in the world, and this is still true today, have corruption everywhere. Everywhere. It just, I'm not insulting anybody individually. I'm not insulting any industry. But docks are how you bring in goods from other nations. Those goods can be drugs. Those goods can be stolen items, counterfeited items. Those those goods oftentimes today, sadly, are people. It's a massive human smuggling operation, and that happens at the ports. People get paid off at the ports. People smuggle at the ports. People steal at the ports. Ports are crime-ridden. Now, we've done a lot better job now in this country of trying to clean some of that up, but if you think our ports are all clean, my goodness. I'll sell you the Golden Gate Bridge right after the show. And this was an era that was much more lawless than where we live now. The New York docks were rough. There were about 900 piers. Most of the men carried bailing hooks, and you know what a bailing hook is, or at least you should. Picture a big hook like like somebody bales hay with, a bailing hook, and it has a handle on the end of it. So essentially you can hold it in your fist and you get a firm grip on it and there's a massive hook coming out the end of your fist. That's the best way I can describe it. And they fought with them. They fought each other with them. Because when I say corruption, I mean the various organized crime factions, the Italians, the Jews, the Irish, they were all fighting for various forms of control of the docks. Beyond the basic contru- uh, co- uh, corruption, there were hiring bosses, and a hiring boss is exactly what it sounds like. Work was coveted. You wanted to get paid. You wanted to put food on the table, and so one man would be the boss of deciding who got to go to work that day. And those guys got killed a lot. Ten and ten years at one point in time. They just flat out disappeared. So Albert Anastasia, built like a brick house, already inherently violent, walks into the New York docks and starts to work. And he starts to beat the living daylights out of people. 18, 19 years old, and he is already feared. Eventually, he comes across the man who was not afraid of him, and this man's name was Joe Torino. They were not alone. This was not hidden in a back alley. This was right out in the open with everybody watching. Joe Torino begins to challenge Albert Anastasia. Joe Torino then gets stabbed really quickly and then gets held down and choked to death by Albert Anastasia's hands. Everybody witnessed it. Albert did not only did not hide it, he, multiple witnesses said, enjoyed it. Yes, he was angry, but he enjoyed the experience watching Joe Torino's life fade from his eyes. Well, the docks may be lawless, but there is still some law at this point in New York. Albert Anastasia finds himself arrested, convicted, 
on death row in Sing Sing prison, and that's all she wrote, right? Well, no, you see. Sometimes when you have certain talents, people looking for those talents will find you. And at this time, there was an up-and-coming gangster in New York City named Lucky Luciano. He was not the big shot quite yet, but he was up-and-coming and, as you may imagine, organized crime. They need people who can choke the life out of somebody and enjoy it. And there was actually a talent scout, if you can believe this, a talent scout for criminals in the prison whose nickname was The Shiv. I'm not making this up. And worked in the barber shop. And I don't just mean for Italian mafia. I mean for any, whatever you need. Oh, you know what? This kid could probably, he'd probably go well on your bank robbing crew. We Throw me a little money and uh, I'll give you his name. And he knows Lucky Luciano's looking for new talent, violent talent. And there's this 18, 19-year-old kid, Albert Anastasia, and he's on death row. And he's still beating everybody up in prison and trying to kill everyone. And so the shiv picks up the phone. Lucky answers the phone. Hang on. I've got an animal inside of me. This is Jesse Kelly. You're listening to The Jesse Kelly Show. Anastasia sitting on death row in Sing Sing only he's really good at killing and hurting people and so the Shiv the criminal talent scout from the prison barber shop not making that up gives Lucky Luciano a call says there's a guy here that you may want to look into Lucky does some digging and says yeah that's a That's a man whose talents I can use. Well, he's got a problem, right? The guy's on death row. Uh, Yeah, about that. You see, Lucky Luciano had two things. He had a lot of politicians and judges in his pocket where he could get a retrial. And he also had a willingness to help witnesses forget what they thought they saw. You see, there were four witnesses who gave the worst testimony about watching Albert Anastasia choke the life out of somebody. And I don't know whether they all went on vacation and stayed or what, but all four of them disappeared forever. So the retrial comes, Albert Anastasia gets let off, and now he is in Lucky Luciano's debt, as you can imagine. Now this is a time... When there are two big bosses running New York, Luciano was not one of them. And the biggest one was Joe the Boss Mazzaria. That's who Lucky Luciano worked for. And this is something straight out of the movies. And the reason 
it's straight out of the movies is because all these mafia movies you love, they all copy the stuff the guys did in real life. Lucky Luciano wanted to kill his boss, Joe, the boss, Mazzaria. And so what did he do? He invited him to lunch. And they sat down by themselves and Joe, the boss, Mazzaria's favorite restaurant. And they ate lunch, and they engorged themselves. And then they began playing cards. Not a care in the world. He's Joe the Boss Mazzaria, right? And at one point, Lucky Luciano, at obviously a designated time, got up, went back to use the restroom, and four gentlemen entered the restaurant right about the time Lucky Luciano went to the restroom One of those four gentlemen, the leader of the group, was Mr. Albert Anastasia, and they filled Joe the Boss Mazzaria full of bullets. If you're sitting in front of your computer as you listen to my voice right now, you are welcome to Google Joe the Boss Mazzaria, and you will witness Albert Anastasia's handiwork firsthand. Now, Lucky Luciano continues to rise. Organized crime was very... Factioned. Is factioned a word, Chris? Can I use that word? Very factioned at the time. And eventually, Luciano finds himself as the big cheese, and he brings in all the bosses of all the families and starts what is called something you've most likely heard before, the commission, the mafia commission, where they will essentially run it like a business. We will make corporate decisions. We will not fight with each other. This family will have this territory. This family will have that territory. You are going to be in charge of the heroin. You're going to be in charge of the hookers, so on and so forth. Sounds like a real good time. Well, that sounds nice in theory. And you hear people talk about, well, the commission. And he really he really cleaned things up and made organized crime much, you know, much more, much more user-friendly. Here's the thing. It's still crime. It's still drugs. It's still gambling. It's still prostitution. It's still all the ugly sides of life. And when you start to dive into that world, into that dark part of that world, somebody needs pushed around. Somebody needs killed. And Lucky Luciano was not naive to this. So what he decided was... We don't need to do all our own killing anymore. We're very business businessman-like, right? What we need is a special group of killers. Then that's all they do is whatever killing the commission tells them to do. And who do you think he picked to lead that group? Mr. Albert Anastasia. And the group was called Murder, Inc. Uh, I believe the newspapers actually called it that. They, of course, did not call it that themselves. It's kind of funny when you think about it. I mean, unless you're one of the thousand people they allegedly murdered. It's kind of funny when you think about it. The group operated out of the second story of the Midnight Rose Candy Shop in Manhattan. Candy store. The bunch of killers up top. Now. Things are going well. Again, unless you're one of the people on the other end of the ice pick, Albert Anastasia slipping into your ear. 
Murder, Inc. is killing everybody they're told to kill. And across the nation, I should clarify this, the commission was nationwide, and the murders they committed were nationwide. We're not just talking about New York City. Kansas City, L.A., you name it, they would go and finish the job. Well, as all horrific, violent, ugly things, there's an end date to it. Now, I should clarify something, and this is going to be applicable as I tell our story today. The mafia then and now, I'm sure that's still the same with organized crime groups around the world. The way they killed you was often significant. They wanted to send a message to other people thinking about doing what you're doing. If you were a witness to a crime and chose to talk, you would be shot in the eyes. If you stole, you would have your hands chopped off. And if you were a rat or what they called a canary because you would sing, if you talked to the cops, they would kill you and stuff a canary in your mouth. Canary was the word they used for it back then. Bringing us to a Mr. Abe Rellis. Abe Rellis, his nickname was Kid Twist. Don't ask me why. It's very strange. Abe Rellis, he was part of Murder, Inc. He was a killer. And he finds himself busted because at this point in time, Thomas Dewey was the special prosecutor of New York, and he was taking organized crime very seriously when no one else had. He gets his hands on Abe Rellis, brings him in, and Abe Rellis, as one of the first ones to ever do this, decides he'd rather talk than go to the electric chair. Kind of understandable, I guess. And there's a problem for organized crime. It's not just that he's talking. It turns out Abe Rellis had a photographic memory. And I'm not exaggerating. Had a photographic memory. Remembered everything he'd ever done. Everybody he'd ever worked with while doing it. Remembered the minute details of it. In fact, he was so detailed about the horrific things they did at Murder, Inc. The stenographers that take down the story, you know, as he's, as he's giving his story, they had to keep rotating them out because they would get too sick listening to him talk about all the ways they killed, maimed, and tortured people. Yeah, not, not great people. And of course, as you may imagine, one of the people he had quite, a lot to say about was Mr. Albert Anastasia, the leader of the group. You see, Albert Anastasia was not just a, hey, go kill this guy, go kill that guy. He was more of a hands-on kind of boss. And in the case of a Mr. Peter Ponto, hands-on, well, I guess you could say hands-on took on a whole new meaning. I'll tell you about Mr. Albert Anastasia and Peter Ponto in just a second. The Jesse Kelly Show.
Avery Ellis, busted, in jail, decides to do the sing like a canary thing and rat out all the organized crime buddies he has, including Mr. Albert Anastasia. And one of the stories he tells them is the story of Peter Ponto. Peter, you see, he also worked on the docks. He was not an organized crime guy. He was just a union dude. He worked on the docks. And he he didn't participate in all the things Albert Anastasia did on the docks. And I understand, like I told you before, the docks were and are horrifically corrupt. In fact, back in these days, they were so corrupt that it was almost treated like a tax. As in, you're a business and you order a thousand rolls of toilet paper from, from France. You would just build into the fact that I'm actually going to get 500 rolls of toilet paper. By the time it leaves France and gets to my shop, sticky fingers are going to have raided me. It was, it was that known. Well, Peter Ponto didn't take any too, too kindly to that. And one day, Peter makes the grave, grave mistake of accepting a ride from a limousine that pulled over and offered it to him. Well, Albert Anastasia was in that limousine, and remember when I said he was a bit of a hands-on boss? Yeah, he wrapped his hands around the throat of Peter Ponto and didn't let go until he was dead. He then took him to a place, I believe it was in New Jersey, buried him in a ditch, and poured quicklime over him. Covered it back up. Would have never been found, except Abe Rellis now told the authorities about it. They went, dug up the body, and now Albert Anastasia is in trouble. The commission is in trouble. They need something done about this, Abe Rellis. Only, there's a problem. Abe Rellis is under extreme police protection. This is before, you know, witness protection officially, but he had five cops at a time guarding him 24 hours a day in a hotel. So one night, he goes to sleep. According to the cops, they checked on him at 3 a.m. Then they went back in at first light, and he wasn't in his room anymore, and the window was open, and there were sheets tied together, tied to the radiator of the room. That's weird. And the cops, again, according to the cops, walked over, Looked out the window, and there was Abe Rellis splattered on the pavement six floors down. Trying to escape, I say in air fingers quotes. I think we all know exactly what happened there. And remember how I told you they called informants canaries? He was then labeled the canary who could sing but could not fly. Now, things are going okay for Albert Anastasia, except the commission decides Murder, Inc. is just too hot now. We got to fade the heat. We got to close down Murder, Inc., and they do. And here's the problem. Albert Anastasia had done a lot of work for the mafia, had killed a lot of people for the mafia, had made a lot of sacrifices for the mafia, and they, in turn, instead of making him the boss made him the underboss of the Mangano family. They essentially, in Albert's eyes, slapped him in the face. 
Now you're Albert Anastasia. You are not the number one man. You're the number two man, essentially the number three man, because it was the Van Gano brothers who ran it. What do you think Albert Anastasia does to handle that particular problem? I've walked you through his life. You know, what's that old saying? If the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Well, Philip, the younger brother, they found him with three bullet holes in him. Vincent, the boss, they never found him at all. And that is extremely against the commission's rules. They called Albert Anastasia before them. He said, hey, I've done a lot for you. It was self-defense. I didn't really do it, but I kind of did it. Sorry. And they looked the other way again and made him the boss of the family. Except Albert Anastasia is still Albert Anastasia. And you outsource to him. And when you're trying to keep quiet, Albert Anastasia can't stop being Albert Anastasia. Some plumber from New Jersey named Charles Ferry and his wife, they were about to testify against Albert Anastasia, and then they went missing, and their house was found splattered with blood. And then, to top it all off, Arnold Schuster had to open his mouth. Now I know what you're saying, Jesse. Who is Arnold Schuster? Well, he was really a nobody. He's a clothing salesman, a shoe salesman. And he found himself riding on, I believe it was the subway. May have been a train, I don't remember. Looks over and sees, oh my gosh, that's Willie Sutton. Now, Willie Sutton is the most famous bank robber still of all time by a mile. He is infamous. I cannot believe they haven't made a dozen movies about the guy. He broke out of prison three times. He never hurt a person. He would use fake guns. He never hurt anybody, never shot anybody. He just loved robbing banks and was great at robbing banks. And once they asked him why he robbed the banks, and he said, because that's where the money is. <laughs> he, and he never ratted on anybody. And he was just a stud. In the criminal underworld, he was a stud. Famous, famous person. Fascinating individual. And at this point, he had broken out of prison again and had been on the lam for two years. And Mr. Arnold Schuster, the clothing salesman, looks over and says, wow, that's Willie Sutton. And Arnold Schuster does what a good citizen would do, and he goes and tells the cops. The cops arrest Willie Sutton and throw him into prison. Now... I know what you're saying. Well, Jesse, what's that have to do with Albert Anastasia? Well, that's that's my point. Nothing. Except Albert Anastasia hated people who talked to the police. And Arnold Schuster was treated like a legend for about 15 minutes. He's all over the all over the newspapers. They're celebrating. The mayor gave him an award. This is what you want to be. And Albert Anastasia, because he's Albert Anastasia in a homicidal maniac, he gets mad. And he decides to ignore one of the sacred rules of the commission. And, and they found Arnold Schuster with a bullet hole in his groin and one in each eye. And that was that. 
You see, that was finally the bridge too far. Eventually, Albert Anastasia walked into the Hotel Park Sheridan, as he did every single day. He was a freak about his appearance, which is funny when you think about the kind of guy he was. But he would go to the Hotel Park Sheridan and get his hair trimmed every single day, and he would get a shave. Now, for those of you who've never had a professional shave, I'm talking to, you know, you non-Italian women and the dudes. When you get a professional shave, you lay down, and they put all these creams and things on your face before they take the straight razor to it. But what they do always, and honestly, it's always made me a little uncomfortable since I read this story, what they do is they wrap your face up in steaming towels to open up the pores and soften your facial hair. Make sure you get a nice smooth shave without slicing your face up. Albert Anastasia lays down that day in the barber shop, gets his face wrapped up, and wouldn't you know it, his driver slash bodyguard happened to be across the street getting breakfast. Which, if the Mafia Commission wants you dead, is not where your bodyguard should be. Listening to the Jesse Kelly Show. You're welcome. Hotel Park Sheridan, 1957. Albert Anastasia is laying in a barber chair, towels wrapped around his face. Two gunmen walk in, start firing bullets into him. Albert Anastasia is, as you may imagine, not one to just take that laying down, springs out of his chair to try to fight them is clearly confused because he's covered in towels and being shot. So he charges at the men shooting him, only he accidentally charges the mirror. He charges their reflection in the mirror instead of the men themselves. Slips on all the towels and the blood and the wetness and everything else. One of them fires a bullet into his head, and that, as they say, is all she wrote. Again, if you're sitting in front of your computer, you can look up Albert Anastasia and you will see him laying dead on the barbershop floor in all of his glory. Now, where did the commission go wrong? Well, they went wrong in the same way many people have gone wrong throughout history. You can talk about, and I've talked about it before, maybe I'll do another show on this. You can talk about the Romans and their Praetorian Guard. The emperor would put in a Praetorian guard, and they're going to protect us. And eventually the Praetorian guard looks around one day and says, well, I'm the only one around here with a sword. Someone tell me why I shouldn't be in charge. When they chose to outsource all the violent stuff, all the muscle, to one man, one group, 
Well, you get what you get. We all have to be careful in life who and what we outsource to. You do this too. I do this too. Too much. Personal protection. You hear me talk about it all the time. Do you outsource your personal protection? Somebody breaks in your home. Are the cops coming or you're dead? Is that your situation? You're Donald Trump. You have an economic crisis. You have a pandemic on your hands. Who are you outsourcing to? What are their motivations? You can outsource all the decision-making to an infectious disease doctor, but there's a problem there. In the same way Albert Anastasia's solution is always just to go shoot somebody in the face, an infectious disease doctor, not even faulting him, his solution is always going to be what? More quarantines, more medical treatment, everybody stay home. Only America is not a disease. America is not a disease. America has a disease, but America is many things. There are many concerns that go into a country of 330 million people. And if you outsource the decision-making to an infectious disease doctor, well, I just got word from Goldman Sachs. They're estimating workforce participation to be under 60%. People, that's a Great Depression. That's what happens when you outsource the decision-making, when you outsource to the wrong guy. And and I know what you're saying. Well, what choice did we have? And I should clarify, as you can tell, my history segment went a little long today, and I have other fun stories that I'm going to enjoy talking about. So let me just be clear. This might be, no promises, this might be the last you hear me talk about coronavirus today. You're beaten over the face with it endlessly. It's all there is out there. We're going to have some fun today, but let me just say this. Whether you agree or disagree with it, this was not the only way. And it was absolutely not the only thing other countries have tried. Sweden, South Korea. I'm looking at an article from Forbes right now. Sweden has no coronavirus, but can it last? Sweden is seeing lots of their death tolls peak. They didn't shut down schools. They didn't shut down restaurants. Sweden didn't line up their economy and shoot it in the back of the head. I'm not saying they're right. I'm not. I don't know. We won't know till this is done. But I'm saying this. There were other ways. There are other ways. Countries have done different things. And understand this. This virus is coming back, most likely. History tells us there's going to be a second wave. So if we get that second wave, are we going to do this again? 
Are the American people even going to be willing to do this again? What if that second wave comes in a couple months? We're open back up. We're finally starting to claw back. We're getting rolling. You think the American people are even going to allow you to lock them in their homes again? Be careful who you outsource to. Jesse Kelly. I have long had an opinion about zoos. Yes, I'm talking about zoos. Why? Because I can't do any more coronavirus stuff right now, man. Maybe I'll hit it up with the guests a little bit. Maybe we'll bring up something else. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff going on there. They're China spying. New York's flat out adding people to the death rolls without even testing them. (laughs) But I need a break. Dang it. And so you're getting a break with me. And so we're going to talk about zoos. And no, I know you're going to find this surprising, but... I don't have a conventional take on zoos. I have a take that is going to be offensive. That is for, well, the 9,000th day in a row going to get me in trouble. However, that doesn't mean I'm ever, I'm, I'm, I'm any less correct. I have a take on zoos. We have been approaching zoos in America all wrong. There is a better way, a way that will not only improve the zoo experience, It is a way that will be more educational to children in a way that will make us stronger as a nation. I'll explain. Hang on. Jesse Kelly Show. I've been to several zoos because I have children. Now, full disclosure, I'm not one of these crazy animal rights people, as you may imagine. (laughs) But I don't love zoos. I don't love it because I don't like seeing the predators like that. Granted, I don't give a crap about the deer or whatever. That doesn't mean anything to me. I don't care about herbivores. (laughs) Is it herbivores or herbivores? It's herbivores, right, Chris? I don't know. It probably depends on if you went to college or not. So, again, I don't really care about those. Like every other dude, I care about the predators. I want to see deadly snakes. I want to see tigers and lions and bears. Oh, my. I want to see. Look, even gorillas are okay because I want to see something that can literally rip my head off of my shoulders. I think it's awesome. Plus, I used to date a girl who looked like one of those. Not getting into that right now. 
It was a rough year. But I don't like zoos because I don't like seeing... I'm going to sound like such a bleeding heart liberal at this point in time, Chris. I don't like seeing lions in a cage. A lion needs to roam free. A lion needs to be out there killing stuff, man. Even snakes. I went to this amazing poisonous snake farm in the San Antonio area one time. And they had, you know, like the top 20 most poisonous snakes in the world. They had all of them. I've never seen anything like it. You name it. They had inland Taipan, all of them. They had them all. And one of the most horrifying snakes on earth is the black mamba. Black mambas are super long, extremely poisonous, extremely aggressive, and extremely fast. I think they can run. Well, they're not running anywhere, but I think they can move like 15 miles an hour. I don't know if that's right, Chris. Chris, look that up and see if I'm right. They're really fast. I remember last time I saw how fast they went, I was like, I don't I don't think I'm going to be able to top that. How fast, Chris? Yes, black mambas. By the way, they're called black mambas because the inside of their mouth is black, not the outside. Isn't that super creepy? How fast, Chris? 10 miles an hour. I don't think I can run 10 miles an hour. Can I? Chris, how, how fast can I run? I know the Olympic. I know like the NFL running backs and stuff like that because they do the tracking on them. They can run 22 miles an hour, 21 miles an hour, which is absurd. So I would assume I can probably run five. <laughs> I mean, either way. Fast and big and aggressive. And they had them in these tiny little cages, tiny little glass thing cages. And I got to lean my face down and look at him right in the eye. And I'm telling you, his face was three or four inches from my face just because I wanted to look at it. One, it was really creepy. Two, it was really cool. Three, it was kind of a bummer, man. I'm not some snake lover. I'm not one of you weirdo freaks with the snakes in my house. And, oh, look at my ball python that's 9,000 feet long and just ate my aunt. But that creature needs to be out in the wild, man. That's like death personified. It needs to be out there eating stuff. So now that I got all that off my, off my chest, I do go to lots of zoos, though, because I have children. And part of having children means your life is now filled with a long line of absolutely brutally boring things that you never would have done otherwise. You know what I'm talking about? The movies? How brutal are the movies? The, uh, what do you call them? Play dates or whatever they are. Okay. Uh, we're having a, we're having a, all, all his buddies are getting together at Chuck E. Cheese, which I'll actually love Chuck E. Cheese, but it's brutal with all the kids running around. What, Chris? You can like Chuck E. Cheese. I told you I'm white trash. And part of that is going to the zoos. And what has always bothered me about the zoos, the hunters don't get to hunt. And they don't get to hunt in front of you. And that's bad for the animals. They're not getting to do what they were born to do. And it's bad for you. And it's bad for your kids. You see, we as a society, we can all agree on this. We're getting a little soft. I'm not even insulting anybody right now, which I normally would do here. The truth is... 
We have been a fabulously wealthy nation for a very long time. And look, it's just a fact. If you look at history, once you get to that point where you're extremely wealthy, you're going to get a little soft. I've seen Rocky 2. I know what happens when you get too rich. Or no, Rocky 3. What, Chris? It's based on a true story. You get a little soft. And we need to toughen up a little bit. It has always bothered me. Even on the nature shows on TV that they used to play all the time. Now, you can finally get a little more than that now. But they used to show the lion stalking the zebra. And finally, the lion would leap up on top of the zebra and they'd cut away. And I'm like, whoa, bro, give me the goods. Show me the finale. What kind of tease is this? Feel like it's freshman year. At the zoo, why not turn a little gazelle loose in the lion's quarters? The instincts are still there. We went to some zoo, oh gosh, I forget where it was. And we're checking out the lions. And all of a sudden, all the lions, you know, the lions are lounging around like lions do. All of a sudden, all of them spring up and their hair on their backs starts springing up. And you can tell they're coiled up, ready to go. And we're like, whoa, what, what? And finally, we heard what they had heard and smelled. There was a horse outside of their enclosure being walked by. And watching all of them spring up at the same time was the coolest thing ever. You're like, oh, man, that's deadly predator mode. Wouldn't it benefit your kids to watch a lion rip something's throat out? You can say, oh, Jesse, that's so much. I could never do that to little Timmy. One, little Timmy would enjoy it. Okay, I understand your son may be lying to you. Maybe he's not. But I have two sons. And you can say, oh, they're just meatheads because you're a meathead. That's not true. Boys are boys. They would want to see it. I want to see a little mouse or a little bunny turn loose in the black mamba cage. I want to see a a, a wildebeest or whatever it is dragged down to the crocodile enclosure and chucked into the middle of the water. I want to see animals hunt. I want to see prey running away. I want to see predators chasing them down. And I want my kids to see it, and I want your kids to see it. I want them to see how life actually works. Life is not like a zoo, and we don't have to keep our kids in this protective cocoon at all times where, well, look at the pretty lions. It's just like a big kitty. No, it's a walking death machine that is freaking awesome with huge fangs and claws, and you need to see how it works. You need to see nature's hierarchy. What's wrong with that? Is that so bad? Is that so sadistic, Chris? Am I way off base here? I think it would be beneficial for everybody. And maybe I am just a barbarian. I will tell you, I'm a little blunt with my sons, even for my wife. You tell your kids to not talk to strangers. You know what I tell my kids? If you talk to strangers, he's going to kidnap you and tie you up and take you into a basement somewhere and chop you up into little pieces. Now, whose lesson got through more? You can say that's harsh, but whose lesson got through more? Mine did. Life's harsh.
Maybe we need to get back there. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. Like a stain on your brain, you can't get out. Jesse at Jesse Kelly show. If you would like to yell at me, which I'm sure many of you do at this point in time, <laughs> it is Jesse at Jesse Kelly show. That is the email fire away again. I cannot possibly email all of you back. I probably will not, but I will read every single one. Send them. I love them. Some of you are sending some insults, which are actually kind of hilarious. Some are sending compliments, which I personally love. Some are sending history suggestions. Fire away with those. Those are always welcome. There's a story you want me to tell, I'll tell it. Maybe, if it doesn't suck. Now, back to my relatively coronavirus-free show today. Police department reminds residents to wear pants while checking the mailbox. <laughs> This is in Tannytown, Maryland. They're reminding their residents. On a, in a Facebook post, the police said, quote, please remember to put pants on before leaving the house to check your mailbox. You know who you are. This is your final warning. <laughs> First of all, this is freaking America, and I'll wear whatever I want to the mailbox. Second of all, I know there's going to have a lot of death and destruction and misery is about to come from all this shutdown, economic disaster, pandemic stuff. I get that. That's just that's look, that's life. That's the way it is. We'll talk about it on the show. We have talked about it. But it is kind of hilarious to see Americans lose their mind in relatively harmless ways. You know, Chris, you know for a fact, and I cannot wait to be this person. That wasn't some 20-year-old dude. It dang sure wasn't a lady. Ladies are way too polite for that. That was an old dude who stopped caring like 25 years ago. And all he had in life, all he had in life was bingo night. He'd go down to the park and sip whiskey out of his coffee cup, watch the birds. That's all he wanted. And you have taken that from him. And now... He's not putting pants on again. I'm checking the mail without my pants on. If I have to go out and get food, I'm not wearing pants. You know he just doesn't care. (laughs) All right. Focus, Chris. Mississippi family rides out deadly Easter Easter Sunday tornado in a concrete safe room. I know you can't picture this, but look. I am a radio master. I've been doing this for almost two years. So allow me to just paint a picture with words for you. It's some lady standing on a concrete block with the walls of her home scattered in the trees around her. 
And there's this gigantic, I mean, think of it like three or four times the size of your fridge, concrete structure, big concrete rectangle sitting there. Apparently, they built this for themselves in case there was a hurricane. And Chris, I want one. Or in case there was a tornado. What? I can have one. I understand we don't get tornadoes. That's not the point. I want a big concrete room like this. Don't you kind of want a bunker? Is that a weird thing to want? It's not weird. You're weird. They have them. They sell them. I forget what it's called. Oh, gosh. What are they called? I think we looked them up before on the show. They sell these underground bunkers, and they're legit. And I mean underground bunkers. It's like this. they're large, round, corrugated metal on the outside. And you bury them in the ground, obviously. And they have ventilation and bunk beds and storage. What is your problem? Why don't you like to prep stuff, dude? That's sweet. You'd rather a workshop. You're such a nerd. That's because you have hobbies and stuff. I'd rather be woodworking. How lame. Not me. I want a bunker. And I want to stock ammo in there. And I want to stock MREs in there. And toilet paper. Although you're not going to need much toilet paper if you stock the MREs. A lot of you may not be aware of the MRE situation, so allow me to elaborate. An MRE is a meal ready to eat. That's what MRE stands for, Chris. Yeah, I'm sure you didn't figure that out. And that's what they feed you in the Marine Corps when you are out in the field, when you're in combat, when you're out doing training of various kinds. You are not given hot meals. I'm not complaining. That's the life. You are given MREs. Now, people complain about them. I will tell you, as a young, hungry man, they weren't that bad. There were some that were really bad. They, were, they, were, they have various flavors, and I'm sure all the flavors have changed now. But they had like a spaghetti with meat sauce. It really was not bad. I mean, how, how hard can you screw up spaghetti with meat sauce? And I know what you're thinking. Jesse, did you eat it cold? Well, eh, no. Not really. They had, this cannot possibly be healthy. They had a little plastic sleeve in them. It's like a bag, okay? And what you would do is your spaghetti with meat sauce would come in, I don't want to call it foil, but just know it's like a foil type completely sealed in package. And there's several things inside of the MRE. You pull it out, you'll have crackers in there and you'll have your actual spaghetti in there. Maybe there'll even be like a, a brownie with a shelf life of 9,000 years. And it's just, it's, it's, look, it's a little rough. And part of it is they had this sleeve. It was a green sleeve. I don't know if it still is. And you would take your, your entree, Chris, the main course, if you will, and you would take your entree and you would slip it into this green sleeve. And then, this, is always, this part always blew me away, you would take a little water, just straight water, and pour it into the sleeve. Whatever they had in this green sleeve was some sort of chemical that once the water touched it, it would instantly begin to boil the water. And I mean instantly begin to boil the water. You had to seal up the top of it, and essentially your spaghetti with meat sauce is now sitting in this green sleeve with this boiling water. Now, you're never going to be able to convince me that that was a healthy process. I, I don't pretend to be a chemist. If memory serves me, I got a D in chemistry in high school, which is pretty shocking when you consider I was in the top two-thirds of my class. But... 
it would boil the water, it would warm up the spaghetti with meat sauce, and then you would have a hot meal. Now, lots of times we just ate things cold. However, if you hand a bunch of Marines, how did I get on this? What were we talking about? Whatever. If you hand a bunch of Marines a bag with dangerous chemicals in it, Marines are going to find a way to hurt themselves or someone else with it. And boy, did we ever. You see, in each and every MRE is a little a little goodie bag. And this goodie bag contains like a little, th- I think it had a little thing of salt and pepper, maybe like one of the tear-off things. That might not be right. I think it did. I'm going to have to look this up. I know it had a little thing of toilet paper in there, like a wee little, believe me, you don't want to have the runs with that much toilet paper. I'll tell you that much. You better be real, real frugal. And you risk the dreaded finger punch and everything else is terrible. It's terrible. But as part of this little package, they had a wee little bottle of Tabasco sauce. And we figured out something wonderful to do with this little bottle of Tabasco sauce. You see, I have my bag. A bag full of chemicals that boil. And if you seal up this bag, it's going to boil and it's going to explode because there is a massive chemical reaction going on. And if you have your buddies, let's say they're grabbing a little nap during the day, you got a break from training. And if you were so inclined, I'm certainly not saying I ever did this. You could take your bottle of Tabasco, pour the entire thing in one of those MRE bags, roll it up really tightly, sneak in to where your buddies are sleeping, set it down beside them, and sneak back out. And then you just sit and watch. Because eventually that bag is going to explode. And not only is the noise going to wake them up, the entire area is now going to be filled with a pepper spray that is melting their lungs and burning out their eyeballs. And it's hilarious. (laughs) All right, we're going to talk to Brandon Darby about the border and stuff. Hang on. I remembered what I was supposed to be talking about, but I got into the MRE bombs. And let me tell you what, people, it's really a lot of fun setting off those MRE bombs. In fact, Chris, I think I'm going to do that to my kids. Be hilarious. It would absolutely be hilarious. All right. The reason I was going off on the not a need for toilet paper in my bunker is because and nobody's ever going to convince me they don't do this on purpose. Okay, I, I am not a conspiracy guy. But I believe the United States government does this on purpose. When you eat MREs, especially several in a row, you do not feel the need to answer nature's call. And I mean days at a time. We had a guy in Kuwait. We were in Kuwait uh, for a little while before we went into Iraq, before we invaded Iraq. They had to give him some kind of super laxative because he went seven days. Seven days. That guy, I mean, he should have taken a picture with it because he gave birth. 
And that could not have been a pleasant experience, Chris. No, no, don't tell me that was a pleasant experience, Chris. That's like running backwards through a cornfield. There's no way that was pleasant. That had to be terrible. What? Oh, the after. Oh, yes, the after. But the, what What kind of comparison is that? The after. Well, yes, Chris, if we sat down and you decided to start drilling a hole into my knee with the power drill and then stopped. Oh, that feels a lot better. Thanks, Chris. That's not that's not any kind of a comparison. What's wrong with you? You're an idiot. WWE deemed essential. You know what? Hold on a second. If I make my bunker, what all goes in it? I'm dead serious. What all goes in it? Like, you don't think about certain things. Okay, you're, you're going to have a bed, right? How many spare pairs of sheets do you have? Two spare? Uh, keep in mind, space is the pr- All right, okay, two pair. What do you have for clothing in there? What do you two pair? What do you have for the various kinds of cleaning supplies? You need to clean the place. You need to disinfect it. You need soap for your hands. You need something to clean that clothing with. Otherwise, it's going to be flea bitten. Did you just say cow urine? Alcohol. Yeah. You know what? It's you. you you're joking, but it's true. If if are you going to bring booze? I would suggest not. Because of the space it takes up, but you know some people out there are packing booze. I don't know how to make moonshine, Chris. That's idiot. How do you make moonshine? Do you know how to make moonshine? Wait, is that illegal? Are we going to get in trouble again? Probably. All right, let's not go into We're not going to go into the recipe, but Chris brings up a good point. I know no one out there does it. But I guess you could make moonshine if you want. How much food do you bring? You're going to need some kind of food. You're also going to have to anticipate leaving your bunker to go hunt your food, right? This is an interesting question. We need one of those nutball survivalist guys on the show, Chris, that can really break this down. Find us a survivalist guy with a bunker, and I want to know what he has in the bunker. And I don't, and I don't mean one of these green berets we have on that has some extra MREs and 9,000 rounds in the back closet. I want somebody with a bunker, and I want to know what's in it, how do you cook your food? You have to, I mean, are you not going to ever cook food? You have to have some way, but you're in a bunker. You can't fill it up with smoke. At the same time, you can't have it run on any kind of gas or propane, can you? Because you're going to run out. How long does your bunker have to last you? Boy, now I'm really confused. Now, that, now there's a lot to think about. Entertainment. I mean, it's not prison. People go crazy in solitary confinement. No, you can hold up movies. Okay, you hold up movies. All right, let's say, obviously, we're going to assume Netflix is down because the Chinese have nuked us. So you have to have hard movies. You know, uh, not those kind of movies, Chris, you idiot. You have to have DVDs. But where are you getting your power from? Are you really going to start up your generator? Assuming you have no power grid, a hand crank? That doesn't work. That powers a flashlight for like 30 seconds. What, are you going to sit and crank the whole time you're watching your idiotic comedies? That doesn't work. But you need entertainment. I mean, I guess you could read if you're some nerd. (laughs) I'm not doing that. (laughs) Get that noise. 
Again, video games doesn't work if you need power. It's got to be it's got to be reading. All right, we need a bunker guy. I'm not even kidding. Get us a survivalist on the show, Chris. Get us a survivalist. Back to the story. Back to the news. We got to focus on the news of the day, Chris. We're like more than halfway through the show. WWE has been deemed an essential business in Florida and resumes live shows. <laughs> That's the most Florida headline I've ever seen. This is from ESPN. WWE deemed an essential business in Florida. Orange County Mayor Jerry Demings said Monday, allowing the company to fully resume live television shows from its Orlando training facility and Full Sail University in Winter Park. The decision, outlined in an April 9th memo from Governor Ron DeSantis, could open the door for other sports to resume in the state. According to Demings, WWE was initially not designated as essential and therefore was not exempt from the state's shelter-in-place order, which took effect April 3rd and runs through at least April 30th. That decision was reversed after, quote, some conversation, end quote, with the DeSantis office, Deming said Monday during a news conferences. <laughs> Essential businesses that are supposed to remain open during Florida's stay-at-home order include those in healthcare, financial, energy, food, communications, and transportation sectors. According to the memo sent by the governor's office on Thursday, recent additions to the list of essential services include employees at a professional sports and media production with a national audience, including athletes, entertainers, production team, executive team, media team, and others necessary to facilitate, including services such as uh, supporting such production. Couple things on this. One, we all know how this went down, right? Obviously, it's a hilarious, hilarious Florida man headline. But this is the ugly truth of it, if we can get serious for a minute. The bottom line is the people who run WWE, because it's a major thing, it's a big thing, they're rich. They're connected. They have people. They have people who know people. If you think one of the major, major players of WWE doesn't have Governor Ron DeSantis' cell phone number to text him at leisure, you are crazy. And the truth is this. We don't like to admit this because it makes us feel left out. I'm the same way. But money buys access. More than anything else, that's what money gets you is access. It's why I never got... Twisted up over the, uh, you remember the college admissions scandal thing, Chris? Where all these actors and actresses were essentially getting their non-athletic kids, you know, water polo scholarships so they could get into USC and stuff like that. And people were freaking out. I mean, there was a big deal. People went to heavy time prison for this. And I was the only person who was like, yeah, who cares? Explain this to me. How is that in any way different than the billionaire with the moron kid with the Jesse Kelly 2.0 grade point average in high school who gets into Stanford because the billionaire happens to build a new wing onto the business department? We all get how that works, right? So what am I supposed to care if a scholarship was given away for the water polo team? I don't care. Rich people have 
are and will again buy themselves access to things that you and I do not have access to. Get rich if you don't like it. I think we need to bring back punching people in the face. I'm not saying you should go out and assault somebody, but I think punching people in the face has its place in society, and here's what I mean by that. Today, in this day and age, because, you know, we're not killing animals in zoos like I want, people are softer. People are more gentle. This is a social media age where, what is that Mike Tyson line? Social media has made people comfortable saying things to other people that would normally get them punched in the face. Well, I see these horrific things some people do to other people for stupid political reasons. And I... I understand this makes me a bad person, but I look at headlines like like the one I'm about to read, and I say to myself, that's just somebody who hasn't been punched in the face enough. And I will tell you this, as a dude, I think that's a valuable experience. I know you may find this shocking, but I've been punched in the face before. More than once. It is not the end of the world. It is certainly not a pleasant experience. It helps teach you manners. It helps teach you your place in the world. It helps you learn to keep your mouth shut. It helps you learn to keep your hands to yourself. You see, if your parents are not smart enough to teach you manners, somebody at some point in your life will. And that experience gets much, much, much less pleasant the older you get. I have always said I would much rather my parents take a paddle to my rear end, which they did, than have to learn those manners lessons when I'm 25 at the other end of some gigantic dude's fist. So when I see a headline that says, Northwest Florida doctors accused of stealing Trump 2020 flag, And then I dug into it. I said to myself, this dude has not been punched in the face. That's just the bottom line. Let me read you the story. It's really short. And then I'll explain. Two local doctors were arrested Tuesday after deputies say they stole a Trump 2020 flag from their neighbor. Jeffrey Michael Friashi, 41, and Laura Ann Webb-Fiashi, is there any shock that she has the hyphenated last name, Chris? <laughs> Red flag of the century. Were arrested and charged with criminal mischief, trespassing, larceny, and contributing to, to delinquency of a minor. Oh, that's the best part of this. They were accused of stealing the man's flag on April 7th, according to Santa Rosa County Sheriff's Office arrest report. 
Ring surveillance video, and I've seen this video, shows the two driving up to the man's house on a golf cart with at least two children with them. The children are not only with them, they're right by their side. The report says Friashi and Web Friashi, gosh, that's so good, used a ladder to take down the man's Trump campaign flag. The man says their actions cost about $500 in damage to the base of the flagpole. Flag itself costs $200. He wishes to pursue charges. Friashi's arrest report says he's a gynecologist at Sacred Heart Hospital. Web Friashi's arrest report says she's a gynecologist at West Florida Hospital. They must have some lovely conversations in the evening as a couple. I saw the video. Their two children, we're talking five, six, seven years old. Old enough. I'm just just try to imagine how these children are going to grow up. You're five, six, seven years old. You ride with your parents, who are your whole world setting you an example of how this life is supposed to go, how this world is supposed to go. You ride with them up to a house that is not your own, to somebody who's not bothering you at all. Your parents remove a ladder from their golf cart and climb it and vandalize the guy's flag in front of you. What chance does that child have of not being a complete nutball when they grow up. I mean, the mother with the hyphenated last name alone is probably enough to doom them, Chris. But my point about the punching in the face is, not the lady, obviously, you don't touch a woman, but the dude, the dad. If you're a dude, I don't care what your political persuasion is, left, right, it doesn't matter, and you see your neighbor who's minding his own business, and you look and he has a flag up that you don't like, and it occurs to you that, you know what? I'm going to get my ladder, and I'm going to drive over there, and I'm going to rip his flag down. I can make a lot of assumptions about you, obviously, but one thing I know for a fact is you have not been hit in the mouth enough in your life. Because even if it occurred to me, which it never would, to look across the street and see my neighbor, you know, see them have something up I didn't like. And let's say it occurred to me and I'm thinking to myself, man, I'd like to take that down. The very next thought that would go through my head is, but I also would like to not get socked in the nose or shot by vandalizing someone else's property. People are out of their minds, legitimately out of their minds, Chris. Am I way off base for that? I understand we're going to get in trouble for that, but that is a dude that has not been punched in the face. I kind of want to punch him in the face. Jesse Kelly. Well, Chris, I'm not quite sure what's going to get us in more trouble today, teaching people how to make an MRE bomb. And let me explain something about the MRE bomb again. It's, 
it's very similar to pepper spray. Chris, have you ever been pepper sprayed? Oh, I've been pepper sprayed. Have I ever told you that story? Oh, boy. <laughs> you know what? It's that kind of day. Wait, crap. We got to take a break. All right, I'll tell you a story about me getting pepper sprayed. Hang on. Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Some people need to be punched in the face or should have been to teach them manners. That is not an outrageous thing to say. Or at least it didn't used to be. I'm sure I'm getting in trouble for that, too. Chris Cuomo, of all people, went on a little rant about this on some radio show. And just listen to what Cuomo had to say. I don't want to spend my time doing things that I don't think that are valuable enough to me, personally. Like what? Well... I don't like what I do professionally, I've decided. Jackass, loser, fat tire biker um, to be able to pull over uh, and get in my face and in my space and talk bullshit to me. I don't want to hear it. Couple things about this. This is difficult to sympathize because let's be honest, we all do this. I'm guilty of it. You're guilty of it. We make excuses for people we like. We do not make those same excuses for people we hate. We do not. That's that's life, right? Your kid got caught smoking pot with the neighbor kids. Well, he had one screw up. I'm sure that was his first time. Neighbor kid gets caught smoking pot. I told you that was a bad seed. I knew that kid was bad from the very beginning. I do the same stuff. (laughs) Look, I do the same stuff. I'm not faulting you. Man, their kid's annoying. My kid's doing flips off the couch and screaming. Look at how rambunctious he is. Right? We all do it. Your favorite athlete for your team? Gets busted, you know, dude doing steroids. Oh, he was recovering from an injury. He hurt his shoulder, obviously, and he was just using it to help out. Opposing team, their guy, the team you hate, hurts his shoulder, does steroids. <laughs> I told you that freaking guy was a cheater all along. I always knew it just looking at him. Scumbags. 
You'd never catch our guys doing that. So when Chris Cuomo goes off on a rant, he's a, look, he's a leftist hack for CNN. Everybody hears his rant and they roll their eyes and they say, oh, he sucks. But he has, he has a good point and a bad point. First of all, let's lead with his bad point. And people make this mistake all the time, especially when you're in the public eye at all. When you're super famous like me, Chris, people make this mistake. You want to talk about your experience of your life. It's, we all do it. How was your day? What's your job like? And part of the experience when you're in the public eye is people come up to you. A lot. People come up to you when you have strong opinions. They really come up to you for better or for worse. They come up to you a lot. Jesse, can I have a picture? Of course. Jesse, you suck. Get both of them. That's life. And because that's your experience, when you get on the radio, I guess that was actually Chris Cuomo's own radio show. When you get on the radio, you want to talk about your life experience. You see movie stars do this. I can't take the paparazzi everywhere. They're following me everywhere. Chris Cuomo, I've got this guy coming up to me yelling at me. Screw him. And you know what? Yes, that's their experience. But nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear, rightly or wrongly, the multimillionaire who's on television, who has anything he ever wanted, nobody wants to hear how hard his life is because he got yelled at. That's just a fact. That movie star, the, the, the famous singer, the complaining about the paparazzi, all their friends, they hear him say that and they say, boy, you're right, man. Those paparazzi scum They're out of control, and this guy's out of control, and this is ridiculous. And everyone else hears that and thinks, oh, shut up and go back to your yacht. No one's feeling bad for you. But, and I will add this as a big, big but. He does have a point. And he has a point about the getting in your face thing. And I've actually witnessed this happen. We all saw that video where you probably did happen a little while back. Some dude, I think it was a kid. I mean, he was in his, looked to be in his twenties rolls up to quiz Chris Cuomo and Cuomo's a big dude. I guess he's like a big weightlifter. He's like a big ripped dude. And some kid rolls up to Chris Cuomo and calls him Fredo. Fredo, obviously being the obnoxious weak character from the Godfather And Cuomo freaks, tells the kid he's going to throw him down the stairs and everything else. And everybody piled on Cuomo the next day because we don't like Cuomo. Everyone piled on Cuomo the next day. Well, that idiot, look at this violent psychopath. And I was the one that went on the radio and said, "Don't, don't walk up to somebody you don't know and open your mouth. I understand he's famous. I understand you don't like him. But it goes back to that Tyson line. How do you feel comfortable as a dude? I'm not here to judge women. It's not my business. But as a dude, how in the world do you feel comfortable walking up to another dude 
in person and chirping at him. I don't understand it. I will admit it does not happen to me a great deal because I'm 6'8". I guess I don't invite that kind of (laughs) in-person anger. Most of mine is contained to emails. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com, by the way. If you want to send one, you're welcome to. You're welcome to cuss at me. I'm not going to publicize your name or whatever. That's life. That comes with the territory. I roll with the punches because it comes with the territory. And you're never going to hear me complain about some bad personal experience I had. One, because I'm the most blessed guy in the world. I get to talk to you about whatever I want every day, and nobody tells me what to say or what I can't say. And that's freaking awesome. And two, and this is a big thing because this applies to you and me, nobody wants to hear you complain ever about anything. And I see people make this mistake all the time in every walk of life. Is you go on social media and ah oh, the line was so long in Starbucks. Ugh. What is the point of that? So you can have a few people say, "Oh, I'm so sorry," or they'll go online and say, "I have the worst headache today." Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Maybe your wife, husband cares. Maybe your mom cares. You can ask somebody to pray for you. That's fine. But in general, there's a great Lou Holtz line about this. I believe he says, don't ever complain because 80% of the people don't care and the other 20% are glad you're going through it. (laughs) I think that's the line. I may have misquoted him a little, but that's pretty much the gist of it. And it's true. So, no, I don't think you should ever get off your bike and approach Chris Chris Cuomo or anyone else you don't like and start chirping at him. Just shut up and mind your own business. Be polite. Go about your day. At the same time, I would inform Cuomo and everyone else, nobody wants to hear you complain about your life, even if it's a totally valid complaint. Nobody wants to hear it. Not interested. Hang on. Jesse Kelly. Chris has very few responsibilities on this show. One of those responsibilities that he constantly fails at is keeping me on track. I realize I promised you a story of getting pepper sprayed in the face, and then I forgot all about it because <laughs> I lack focus. Look, I'm going to be totally honest with you here. We don't prepare for the show. You may have picked up on that. There's not a lot of research, per se, that goes into one of these. It's kind of winging it here. Hope everything works out. So. Being pepper sprayed. 
I'm in the Marine Corps. I'm in the infantry because I'm not a chick. And sometimes you get fapped in the Marine Corps. I forget exactly what it means. F-A-P, I forget what it stands for. They will steal you out of the infantry and place you somewhere else for a period of time. Normally it's like six months. And the military police in the Marine Corps is called the Provost Marshal's Office, the PMs. They're not called MPs. They're called PMs. They often will be shorthanded. And when they steal people, where do you think the military police would like to steal people from? Yeah, of course, they're going to be stealing the infantry guys who actually have training when it comes to combat and things like that. Lo and behold, I get stolen. I don't want to go. My platoon sergeant fights for me to stay. I'm like, dude, I don't want to go be a cop. I didn't sign up to be a freaking cop. They fought for me, got stuck, stayed. I did now part of being a cop was so much fun because I know you're going to find this surprising, but I didn't necessarily obey the rules per se. I would turn on my lights and blow through all the stop signs. I would turn on my lights and blow through every red light. I would pull over all of my friends when they were taking off from the base for the weekend and they would have to pull over and I would keep them there for like 15, 20 minutes at a time. I was eventually, because they have no standards whatsoever, I was put in charge of the various, you know, the you have a basically a squad and they made me the lead. And I forced all of my guys under me to wear aviator shades, which are not even regulation. You're not even supposed to be allowed to wear those. They had cameras in the vehicles because someone kept speeding around and driving rough in the cop cars. So they had cameras that not only faced forward, they would face the driver and the passenger. Like they would look inside of the vehicle. And if you accelerated too fast or braked too hard, the camera would turn on. Well, also, if the camera got bumped, it would turn on. Now, keep in mind, again, I am not necessarily what you would call a rule follower. And I was half trying to get kicked out anyway so I could go back to my unit. But they just kept promoting me in there. Granted, I was fairly, I was fairly decent if you needed something rough done. I was probably someone you would want there. Some dude was freaking out in the base hospital one time, threatening to stab the nurses. They called me. We got that problem handled. So back to the cameras. You can drive in the cameras, and if you bump them, it will record you. Now, the big cheese, the guy who was a frightening individual in charge of all the military police, the the PMs there. Gosh, what was his name? Gunny something. It might have been Martinez. I loved him. And he loved me, although he was always screaming at me. He would review the videos at the end of every day. And I would purposely, as we were driving around, I would hit the camera and talk about the most meaningless stuff you could possibly imagine. And I would fill up, because you're driving around all night, you have like 12-hour shifts. I would fill it up with, honestly, I would break down my order from Subway. And then I would do like these things where I'd look out the window and be like, look at how thoughtful I am right now. Or if we had a call, I would hit it 
and I would act like I'm on cops, and I'd be informing the video of what we're about to do on the call, and I would fill up hours on the camera at a time. And then I would show up the next day because he would review it that night, and I would hear, I can't say what he would say, blank, blank, Kelly, get down in my office now before you get punched in the throat. And he would call me in, and I would stand in front of his desk and be like, yes, Gunny, totally straight-faced. And he's trying to keep a straight face as he's screaming at me and throwing stuff at me. Stop screwing up in the vehicles. I swear I'm going to kill you. And you can tell he's trying not to laugh too. Yes, God, I, I won't do it again. I won't do it again. And then I would take off and do it again that night. And he just lose his mind. Well, part of, I, I need to go backwards. Part of all this training is because you're given pepper spray, they have to teach you what it's like. Now, they don't actually have to teach you what it's like. They just want to get off on spraying you in the face and watching you die in front of their eyes. So part of the course is you have to take this little classroom course, which is totally meaningless. And no one's even paying attention because we're all just dreading the fact we're about to get sprayed in the face with pepper spray. They then bring you outside and they line you up. And the deal is they spray you in the face, and then you have to go through this course. It's not necessarily an obstacle course, but you have to run up to this heavy bag with a baton, and you have to go to work on it. And then you have to do this thing. And then by, at the end of it, when you're, you have to go do these various stations, push-ups, jumping jacks, and then at the end of it, you have to fight off two dudes who are trying to take your weapon out of your holster. Well, of course, when they spray you in the face, it can't just be a little squirt in the eye. This is the Marine Corps, so they soak your face from point-blank range. It is quite literally dripping off of your chin. And then you take off. Well, there's something to this. About 2% of the population is immune to pepper spray. Something to do with skin type. Uh, no, it's not. It's not a skin type thing, or it's not a skin color thing. It, it, it wasn't. I mean, there were black dudes, white dudes, Mexican dudes. It did. It, 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 it didn't matter. And everybody, I'm watching them get sprayed in the face, and they're sobbing, sobbing because your eyes are watering and your nose is running, and you can hardly breathe. It is just the worst experience in the world, which I'll get back to in a second. And I'm watching them go through the course, and they're dying. And then they finish the course, and they spray their faces down with water, and that doesn't help. You have to use Johnson & Johnson baby shampoo to get it off. And it is – and I'm watching all this because I'm not first. And so finally it's my turn. And I'm like, oh, gosh, this is going to suck. And I close my eyes, and they spray me down. And I open my eyes. And nothing. I feel fine. I can smell it, but on my face, it feels like I just got sprayed with water. And I take off through this course, and I'm doing the baton stuff, and I'm doing the push-ups, and I'm fighting the guys off, and I can hear everybody talking like, dude, Kelly is superhuman, man. Look at him. He's not even, he's not even complaining. What? This dude is a beast. And really, I just didn't feel anything at all. And I finished, and I'm like, "Woo! that stuff is nothing. You guys are a bunch of sissies. You know, I'm rubbing it in everybody's face, as you can imagine I would do. And finally, they're like, hey, come on over to the hose. And I'm like, nah, I'm good. I don't, I don't feel anything. They're like, no, you need to come to the hose. Well, it turns out I have a skin type that is resistant to it right up until you add water. 
They spray me down with the hose, and I am not exaggerating. It feels like somebody is holding a cigarette lighter to your eyeballs. It is the most brutal freaking experience. All you can do is sit down and hang your head between your legs and just watch as the snot and tears drip out of your face. It's so bad. All right. We got to talk to Selena Zito, and then I'll tell you about the final thing, the worst thing. And I do mean the worst thing about getting sprayed in the face. Hang on. We are all going absolutely nuts right now. So I figured what better way to bring us back to earth than talking to the great Selena Zito, the lady who is actually from the Rust Belt, talks about what people were actually going through in the Rust Belt, the lady who actually called Donald Trump's election when everyone else said she was an idiot. She writes for the Washington Examiner, the New York Post, and about every other publication in the United States of America. Selena, what is happening out there with quarantine, with unemployment, with what are, not New York, D.C., what are other people going through? Uh, Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I'm in my car and driving to uh, Middletown, Maryland, to a dairy farm uh, to see what's going on there. But, you know, it, by and large, in, in the reporting I've been doing across the country, uh, people are uh, – well, obviously, they're struggling. There's a lot of people that have, you know, lost their jobs. There's a lot of people in the energy industry that have lost their jobs, which has – or at least their jobs have been put on pause or hold. And uh, that is that is that that is a shame because that has been the uh, boom in this area, in Pennsylvania, and also parts of Ohio, and of course out in Texas and um, other places due west. So that's sort of been the challenge around here. You see people doing innovative things to try to at least keep cash flow in. Small little businesses like, um, uh, you know, restaurants and or bars. But one of the things that's really annoying here in Pennsylvania is we have to buy our alcohol at a state store. The government controls how we buy alcohol. And guess what is the first thing they closed Uh, uh, way uh, back in the beginning of March? You've got to be kidding me. No alcohol, no wine, no spirits, no beer. Well, you can get beer to go uh, at a brewery. Um, but that, even that is kind of limiting. Um, and it's certainly not, you know, easy for, you know, the average person to get to a specialty place, right? Uh, and, and, and now Ohio and West Virginia have banned people from Pennsylvania license plates and or, um, um, IDs from buying alcohol across the, uh, across the border, which is why I'm going to Maryland. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, 
Is there I a- mean, I'm going to Maryland for a story, wink, wink. Uh, but oh, might yeah. also be for alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, look, you look. You just have to do what you have to do to inform the people out yeah, there, Selena. If that happens exactly to be in a place right. where you can buy booze, then it is what it is. Look, how are people, are they more concerned right now about the virus or about their job? I genuinely want to know this. I know what the national press wants to focus on. What are actual people more worried about? Okay, so I would say in the beginning, um, people were really terrified of the virus. Uh, and that's an honest assessment. I think now they're terrified about not just their job, but what's going to happen to their communities. Um, because these, whether it's a large uh, energy company or a small barber shop or a small church or a small, you know, restaurant or a novelty store, uh, you know, those are the kinds of small institutions that hold smaller communities together. And then you look at, like, these little college towns, right, where if it's not for the little college, these towns completely collapse. And so people, I think, they have shifted their concern to being about their community and about their jobs and about their families and the impact, the the economic impact it's going to have. Are they going to have to move? Are they going to have to leave their family? Is this going to create a different kind of distance? And so that's the that's the um, that's the current mood out here. And I think uh, one of the escalating problems it's a problem we have had for I would say 20 years is our lack of trust in institutions and government and media. Uh, the <laughs> The the uh, the floors or the ceilings, whatever, it's dropped out on that. That is like gone. Oh my gosh! Uh, now, how does a small community band together during times like this? Are they at each other's throats like we see so much online? Are they coming together? Are they are, yeah. are they are they ignoring quarantine? Are they doing the quarantine? What are they doing? Uh, no, people come together, absolutely. They find inventive ways to go to church, like drive-ins. Um, they find inventive ways to help each other, whether it's a flu- food delivery system, either for people in need or for uh, people that, um, you know, are unable to get, you know, they're, you know, they try to call their local grocer and it's really backed up. So, you know, people pitch in and help each other out. Um, I have really seen a great sense of community coming out of this despite, like, what you like, don't go on Twitter because that's, I swear, I, I never thought it was reflective of real life. Now I think it's just, you know, a reflective of hell with a lid off. Uh, because it's it's not reflective of how people behave, how people interact with, with each other. I would not say that everybody is perfect. I think tempers are shorter right now. But what we want, what is in our DNA as Americans, is to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And and that is why we've always had these strengths and communities. That's why we've always um, sort of had this need to join organizations like the Elks or like the, you know, BFW, places like that. And those kinds of needs have not gone away. We still find a way to interconnect in in those ways. My Little Elks now has a Zoom 
meeting so that we can still all see each other. And someone plays the banjo. So, you know, we still find ways. We still haven't lost that. But we are really, really trying to continue to hold that web of connection together. I'm really surprised you actually know how to use Zoom, Selena. That's impressive. Now, uh, the. I, well, you know, I am old. <laughs> quit. Quit. All right, quickly. Joe Biden, Donald Trump. I understand politics is not the focus right now of most normal people, but are they right. talking about that at all? Are they mad at Trump, happy with Trump? Are they are they switching to Biden? Are they mortified by Joe Biden? Are they saying anything politically right now? No, they're not saying anything politically right now. No. And I will tell you this: this is I will I will I will stress this. I find people who do and do not like Trump still find that they get a lot more information out of the um, daily briefings, even if they don't particularly like his style or even if they don't particularly care for him. Because, and here's why, uh, it has people, I will say this is going to be uh, the new part of cable news. I think there's going to be a real problem with people wanting, wanting opinions. They don't, they sort of don't want opinion anymore. And even though the, the, the Trump show um, is it, nope. it, it, it out of, it also has a ton of information. Selena Zito, you are the best. You drive safe out there. Enjoy a glass of wine tonight. <laughs> Moonshine. I'm going to Maryland. <laughs> Enjoy yourself. All right. I'm going to tell you the worst thing about being pepper sprayed, and I'm going to play you a little media clip piggybacking on what she said. Hang on. I forget. You can write me, Jesse at Jesse Kelly Show. I will read it. The whole show is available on iHeart. It's on Google. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple. So if you missed any of today's brilliance, didn't do a whole lot of coronavirus stuff today. We just kind of screwed off because I'm tired of coronavirus for a day. Then you will enjoy it. So again, Jesse at Jesse Kelly Show, iHeart, Google, Spotify, Apple. Before I get to this reporter thing, let me just finish my little story about being pepper sprayed. The worst thing is not the burning of the face. The worst thing, if you don't follow instructions and if you happen to make this mistake, is when you go take a shower after. What happens when you take a shower, Chris, to the water that hits your face? Does it evaporate right when it hits your face? It doesn't, does it? It goes somewhere, doesn't it? Where does that water go, Chris? Yes, you're picking up on this, aren't you? You see, first, as you step underneath that shower with flaming hot pepper spray burning your skin off, the water hits that pepper spray, and it's got an oily base to it, so it slowly starts to flow off of your face. And it flows down your neck, down your chest, 
down your stomach. And soon, where does it end? Oh, you know where it ends now, don't you? I heard men, United States Marines, I heard them sobbing like babies from the bathroom. That is the kind of pain you don't want to fathom. Now, I will tell you, it's not that I used good judgment. I have a long history of really bad judgment. However, I do have ears. So I made a re- I resolved right then and there, I don't care what they say. I'm not showering today. I'm going to give it a day or two. I'm going to be stinky. And I'm going to let this stuff just get off of my skin on its own because I am not risking that kind of burn. That's a whole different kind of burn right there. Now, the media. There's a CNN contributor out there. He's a media reporter with the Baltimore Sun, and he goes on CNN a lot. His name's David Zurawick. And he had this to say, and I was thinking about him and what he had to say while Selena was talking about how the public, even people that don't like Trump, enjoy these updates, enjoy, enjoy these daily press briefings. Listen to this reporter. Health workers are risking their lives daily, and to see him come out there and for 90 minutes and two hours sometimes, doing exactly what you said. He's spinning a narrative, and the narrative is, I didn't do anything wrong. I was ahead of everybody. I was great. The federal government's doing great work. And it's an outrageous lie. But what's worse is every minute he spends doing that, he is not getting respirators to hospitals. He's not helping the states out with the kind of uh, PPEs they need. People are dying because of his foolishness. It's really foolishness at this point. You know, America, you know, folks who love them, fine. You voted for them. You stuck it to the elites for three years. But now your loved ones can die. The game's over. This isn't reality TV anymore. People are dying, and this guy is acting a fool. Mm. You tried to stick it to the, the elites. You hear the bitterness in his voice? The Baltimore reporter. You tried to stick it to the elites, and now your loved ones can die. The issue the worldwide press, it's not even the American press, is running into right now is this. People always hate the media because it's detestable, because they're a bunch of out-of-touch losers with obvious agendas, and you can't get straight news. That's just, that's not news. That's, that's our life. As people on the right, that's what we, that's fine. But we're seeing media approval ratings across the world, not just America, tank right now. They already had the approval ratings of herpes. It's getting worse. Why? Because they cannot help themselves. They're so full of bitterness. They hate Trump so much. And by extension, this is the issue. They could have gotten away with hating Trump. They hate Trump's voters so much that they can't help themselves. You remember Selena Zito? She just said, now remember, she is the voice of middle America. She's the voice of the Rust Belt. I wasn't just saying that because she's my buddy. She was the only one in the national media who stood up and screamed, "Uh, Donald Trump is going to win this election. And she said it over and over again. "Uh, Donald Trump's going to win. You guys know Donald Trump's going to win, right? 
And I watched that woman get torn limb from limb for months by everyone talking about what an idiot she was and she had no idea. This woman has the pulse of it. The American people, even Trump haters, love these press conferences. They love the information Donald Trump is giving. And what's the media doing with that access they get to him every single day? They're making it about them. They're making it about politics. They're making it about finger pointing. They're making, well, what did you do? Well, this person shouldn't have died. Oh, how are you going to do that? When he's rising above it and you're not, you're losing. Hang on one sec. The Jesse Kelly Show. You see, when you sit in that press room and you're asking questions of the President of the United States, as a reporter, yes. You can and should ask tough questions of a Republican or Democrat. It doesn't matter. Granted, Obama didn't get very many of those, but ask your tough questions. However, as I teach my kids all the time, read the temperature of the room. Read the temperature of the room. If your mother's having a rough day and you were bad all day, do not sit down at the dinner table and try her dinner and say it has too much salt in it. Shut your freaking mouth and eat the food. If you're at a funeral, now's not the time to tell people about your dinosaur collection. And if you're the media and the country's unemployed and people are dying, it is not the time to play your usual politics. It is the time to control your worst urges and simply try to get the American people information. We are in an era right now where the media could finally get some credibility back. And of course, what are they doing with it? Lighting it on fire and watching it burn. The whole show will be available also on jessekellyshow.com. It'll be on iHeart, Google, Spotify, Apple. You can email me, jesse at jessekellyshow.com, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. That's all. Jesse Kelly Show. Newton Group Transfer. They are here to help you if you're stuck in a timeshare. 
these stories from people who have these timeshares and can't get out of them, they're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up. Or they'll, they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl, she got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. They tell her she can get out of it for $4,000. She has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right. It's unjust. And Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out or know someone who is, call 888-845-3773. That's 888-84-JESSE. Or go to timesharejesse.com. Newton Group Transfer. They will help you out. Since 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been committed to improving the lives of America's veterans, first responders, and their families. For over 20 years, the foundation has helped America keep its solemn promise to never forget. Tunnel to Towers provides mortgage-free homes to Gold Star families and the families of fallen first responders with young children, builds specifically adapted smart homes for catastrophically injured veterans, and is working to eradicate veteran homelessness. David Marshall served in the Army during World War II and fought in the Battle of the Bulge. He has never forgotten the sacrifices of his comrades nor the efforts of first responders on 9-11 and in the days and months that followed. He is a loyal and proud foundation donor. Tunnel to Towers is committed to supporting veterans, first responders, and their families, and so many of them need your help. Join the foundation on its mission to do good and never forget. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Hollywood is under siege from external forces. The same Hollywood that sold the American dream is now making nightmares a reality. Many major films make choices to appease the Chinese Communist Party to be distributed in China. Join Tiffany Meyer, an investigative reporter in Hollywood Takeover. Brought to you by the Epic Times, where she reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. For a limited time, watch the first 10 minutes for free at hollywoodtakeover.com slash jesse. The 2024 election is upon us, and now is the time to fight back against the war on masculinity in American society today. Thankfully, the patriots at Chalk, C-H-O-Q, are here to help real American men maximize their masculinity by boosting testosterone levels up to 20% over 90 days. I've been taking a male vitality stack from Chalk for like three years now. It is incredible. They are here to help make American men strong again. Testosterone. Testosterone fueled again. Maximize your masculinity today at choq.com. Use the code Jesse for a massive discount on any chalk subscription for life. Choq.com code Jesse. Limited time offer, subscription cancelable at any time. If you are an accredited investor, U.S. oil and gas should be part of your investment portfolio. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. Beyond the possibility to invest in a sector that historically delivers sound returns, when you invest with Labrador Energy, you may be able to structure your investment to offset active or passive income. According to many sources, U.S. oil and gas drilling remains one of the best tax-advantaged income investments available. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. 
income. You may be able to reduce your tax liability while investing in a sector that historically delivers sound returns. Learn more at LabradorEnergy.com today. Offer for accredited investors only. Past performance is no indication of future results. Investing involves risk. Consult your legal, tax, and financial advisors and read the prospectus before making any investment decisions. Visit LabradorEnergy.com for the prospectus and more information.